Welcome to this week's message from Southland Church. We hope you enjoy this teaching by Stefan Dirksen, pastor of Four Winds Ministry. For more information about this message and other resources, visit myselfland.com. So, it is uh, very good to be back. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Stefan Dirksen. I'm the pastor of Four Winds Ministry here at the church. And last week, I started a, just a little mini-series, two weeks only, uh, a series on knowing your identity. So we asked the question, who am I? And uh, that's what we asked last week. And what we looked at, and I'm just going to quickly review the, the, basically just the PowerPoint slides. Um, and I will encourage, if you weren't here for last week's message, I'm going to make some assumptions on, on the stuff that I'm working on today. It's building upon what I talked about last week. Uh, so if you weren't able to you know, see it, if you weren't able to attend church last weekend because of work or whatever happened, you were sick, please go and watch it online or just download it and you can listen to the podcast and then you'll be caught up to speed on what we're talking about. But what we looked at was uh, we started with looking at the importance of identity and how your identity, we looked at a whole list of things that your identity uh, governs in your life, right? It actually has its own spot in your brain and it, what that spot in your brain looks for is the answer to the question, uh, what is it like me and my people to do when we feel blank? You can fill in you know, the, the situation there. It could be anger, or it could be sadness, or it could be whatever distressing feeling or good feeling that you're feeling at that time. And what I mean by that, because uh, you might say, well, what is it like me and my people? Like, what does that mean? Well, what we talked about last week is me, what is it like me to do, or what's a satisfactory way for me to respond to what I'm feeling right now is what I'm trying to figure out. And my people would be, I mean, it could be my family, and it could also be, I mean, for Christians, it's also the church, right? I mean, you, you are my people, right? The people described in Scripture, they are my people. So I'm looking for a satisfactory answer, depending, you know, regardless of what I'm facing in life, I want to know what is it like me and my people, Christians, to do when we face situations like whatever it is that we're going through. And that's what we looked at last week. Uh, we also looked at uh, the two kinds of knowing. Uh, there is knowing uh, facts. So those are knowing facts, but we all know that, you know, just facts alone. We talk about getting things from the mind into the heart. And I just talked about how that could be the left and right hemisphere uh, because one side learns facts, but the other side learns things more like skills. Uh, and, and you pick it up that way, right? So you learn who you're supposed to be, and then you practice that, and it becomes a skill. You become like that. And that's what we talked about last week. And then we looked at a third component, and that was capacity. And capacity is the strength to actually go and change, the strength to actually carry on in life. And uh, the example I gave last week was uh, of dancing. I talked about how if you had a dancing book, I could give you Dancing for Dummies. You could read Dancing for Dummies and come back and say, Stefan, that, that was the best book on dancing I've ever read, and I know now how to dance. So then I could say, well, great, come on to stage, and you can dance now in front of everyone. And very quickly you would realize, you know what, reading that book doesn't actually help you be a good dancer. It gives you the theory on dance. You now understand, you know, the facts behind dancing. But in order to be a good dancer, you're going to have to have someone teach you the skills. And then with that, not only are you going to have to have someone teach you the skills, we talked about what happens if your legs are broken or if you're, if you're impaired in some way. Well, you're actually going to need to have rehab first. You're going to need to be strengthened so you're even strong enough to learn those new skills. And uh, how this works, you know, if, if I just use the example of anger, um, because everyone in here has felt anger, everyone in here has had angry conflicts with others, and everyone in here has done so in ways that were not satisfactory, I'm sure of it. We've all done stuff where we thought, oh man, I really wish I could, you know, redo. Where's the redo button on life, right? And that's how often we feel, but this is how it works. So let's say I'm with my spouse, and, you know, not that Louise ever does anything wrong. I'm usually the cause of most distress in her marriage. But let's say in this case, she's the one that's, you know, 
she's the problem, okay? So what happens is I might feel agitation, right? I'm getting frustrated because she's not agreeing with me. We're not on the same page. I'm getting frustrated. At this point, what am I trying to do? And we can all relate to this. I'm trying to figure out what's a way to fix this problem, right? How do we, what's a satisfactory way for us to kind of resolve this? Now, if you can resolve it, you just resolve it and you move on and, and it never even, you know, it doesn't go further than that. You just move on with life. But when you can't resolve it, you know what we usually resort to, right? Now, this, remember, that question here, how should I resolve this? That's your identity region. It's looking for an answer. What is it like me and my people to do here? If you don't know, what's going to happen is you're going to revert to your capacity, you're going to start trying to control it. You're going to think, well, you know what? I just got to just hold it all inside. I just got to hold it in, hold it in, hold it in, hold it in, hold it in. And you're just kind of hoping for the problem to go away. This is your capacity at work. And eventually, we all know what it's like to reach the end of our capacity because that's that moment where you feel that little go ding, you know that little ding? And suddenly you do something that you wish later on that you hadn't done. Right? We can all relate to that. Everyone in here can because this is just how God made us. It's regular human experience. And that's really what I'm talking about here. We lack the skill of how to handle anger in a satisfactory way. So then we revert to trying to just muscle our way through it with our capacity. Muscle, I just got to control it. But we all know that that doesn't work. Or at least it's very limited in how it works. Right? Maybe it works with very small frustrations. But if it's something bigger, there's no way you can just keep it all inside. And even if you can keep it inside, what we find is then it later on comes out anyways, doesn't it? Right? Because then one thing adds on to the next, and slowly but surely we end up exceeding our capacity that way. So that's what we looked at there. So let's pray, and I'm going to get into the service for today. That's, that was a recap of yesterday. Dear Lord Jesus, I just want to thank you that, that you made us and you said that it was good. So we know, Lord, even when th there's struggles in our lives, trials, we, we know that when you said it is good, and we, and we know you are good, we know that that is actually truth. We know that we can actually draw close to you in the struggles. Just because we struggle, it does not mean that you are bad. It does not mean that we are alone. Because the truth is that you are good and you are always with us. God, I pray that you would teach us how to walk with that, uh, that truth as a skill, that it would transform us. God, I'm praying that today with this message, that you would teach us how to stop on the journey. So many of us, God, we just push and we push and we push and we push and we just want to go through life as hard and fast. We just perfectionism and we just want to get it done and please you that way. But today I feel like, Lord, you're telling us to stop, to take a breath, to relax, to take in the scenery, to enjoy your creation. God, I pray that that's what you would teach us to do this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let's look at joy, appreciation, and capacity. Now, I have actually talked about appreciation before, joy, and capacity before, even before last week's message. Uh, I had talked about it before. I, I really, you know, parked on it in the emotional maturity uh, messages. I believe that was in last... June or July. So if you want more information, right, the knowing facts part, you can go back and reference uh, that message there and you can get more of the facts. But today what I wanted to focus on, remember we talked about two kinds of knowing. Knowing facts and then learning things like skills, practicing them. And that's really what I want to focus on today is focusing on how do we actually grow these skills now and what does it look like to actually do this and live a life like that. Um, I, I also sent out those daily weekly challenges if you can wrap your mind around that. Uh, they were sent out daily, but they're the weekly challenge. Um, I'm not sure how many of you did that. You don't have to tell me you're right here. But if you weren't doing them, I encourage you to do them. They're, they're actually really, really good. Um, and they're just going to teach you. I mean, this last week, they were all about building capacity. And if you went through them, you might be thinking, they're all about building capacity. They, you know, they were all about, like, thanksgiving and appreciating others and that sort of thing. And yeah, that's exactly the point. That's actually how we grow our capacity. 
is through actual appreciation, through thankfulness and that sort of thing. So I encourage you to do those challenges. I'm going to have seven more sent out uh, starting tomorrow uh, that are going to more apply to this next stage, right? We talked about the two levels. We've got to work on our capacity, get the strength. Then we move on to identity, and that's kind of how those practicums have been set up as well. So I also talked to, uh, remember, about joy building capacity and fear draining our capacity. And that's where I'm going to start here. I'll, I'll explain that a little bit further. So the front half of your brain operates uh, based on desire. Okay, so operating from desire. So that's how it works when we're operating from the front. That's the part of your mind where your identity sits, your sense of self, your ability to connect to others, and that sort of thing. Now, we looked at some of the benefits of living out of this part of your mind last week, and I'll just review them here. Emotional regulation. Uh, strong family bonds, responsible for personal preferences, creativity, our ability to be satisfied, goal-directed behavior, moral and social behavior, calming and controlling our impulses. This is already a pretty good list. And what we're going to add to that today is staying relational, the ability to stay relational. This is extremely important, right, because it plays in with the next one. But even there, staying relational, we all want that for our marriages, do we not? Many marriages lack a partner or both that are relational, and then it causes problems. We want to be relational in marriage. We want to be relational with our kids. We want to be relational with God. We want to be relational at work because we just all, I mean, we all know this, that being relational, being connected to others is actually just makes everything better, doesn't it? Right? When you feel connected, even when you're getting in trouble. Isn't that the way it is when you're a kid? If you, if you were getting in trouble with someone, if you're at least, if we're together in this, it just feels like we're going to make it through, right? That's that staying relational. And lastly, and this is what we're going to look at today a little bit more in detail, and that is loving God and loving people. So loving God and loving people, I mean, that's a pretty important uh, theme throughout Scripture. Uh, Jesus actually said the greatest command was love. Mark 12, 28 to 31, he said, Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no, no other commandment greater than these. So we see that Jesus is saying, I mean, there's many commandments in Scripture, many things in Scripture that we find, but he's saying the greatest of all of these, or we could call it the foundation to all of the other laws, is love. Love is the foundation. Everything else is built on top of love. And it's really interesting that he would say that because science really just confirms what the Bible has already said, what Jesus has spoken to us for thousands of years. Because love is the foundation. Love is relational, right? And our capacity, that's part of the brain, is relational. That's how it works. It's the foundation upon which your identity is built. That's level three and four. That's exactly what Scripture teaches us. Love is the base. You have to be able to love God, love people, stay relational. And upon that, now we have the law that comes out of that. Well, what does the law do? The law teaches us what it's like me and my people to do when we feel or face blank, doesn't it? So you see levels three and four working together in synchronization. It's actually quite fascinating, right? And I love it that science just confirms what the Bible has said for years. I said it last week. I'll say it again today. This isn't a new thing. We're just saying it in a new way, right? This is truth that has been in Scripture since it was written. It's Holy Spirit truth. He created it. He created us. We shouldn't be surprised that it all fits together. So the problem happens, and this is where the problem is, right? The front half operated on desire. What happens is this, when we exceed our capacity, when we get overwhelmed, when we are tired, you know, when you're hurt, when you're stuck in a bondage, or when you simply just don't know a better way to respond, all of these things, and I could go into a greater list here, but I won't, uh, all of these things cause us to revert from the front half of our brain to the back half. And you might wonder, what is the back half? I'll tell you what the back half is. The back half is governed by fear. 
Right? It's governed by fear. Remember I talked about joy builds capacity, fear drains capacity? All right, when those front parts turn off, we actually revert to the back and we start operating by fear. When we're in this area, this is the type of things that we'll, we'll be like. We'll be reactive. We don't want to be reactive, right? You'll, you'll give those knee-jerk responses. Oh, shoot, I shouldn't have said that. Oh, shoot, I shouldn't have done that. That's coming out of this side here. Non-relational, being judgmental, overwhelmed easily, cannot manage our impulses. That's where a lot of the sexual morality, addictions, all that kind of stuff comes out of. And we often behave in a manner that we usually wish we could take back afterwards. It's that kind of the general overall kind of feeling that we get as we live out of that area is, man, I wish I would have done that differently. Oh, I really wish I could have redone how I, how I handled that situation at work or with my kids or in marriage or just how I feel about myself personally. I really wish I could change the way I feel. And we're living in regret. That regret comes out of living in that back half. So the question with all of this, remember, joy builds capacity, fear drains capacity. So how do we now, like, what's the answer to this problem of living out of fear and, and, and being stuck in that? And the answer is appreciation. Appreciation, thankfulness, worship. Once again, it lines right up with the Word. The Word is chock full of being thankful and appreciating God and being full of gratitude and worshiping Him. Right? This is how our, like, you know, we know joy grows our capacity. Joy is relational. And in order to experience that joy, in order to experience the joy of relationships, we actually turn that part of our minds on through thankfulness, gratitude, and appreciation. That's how God made us. Right? He made us to be creatures of worship and thankfulness and gratitude. And I love that. Scripture says, Psalms 100 verse 4, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name. This is, by the way, this is all throughout Scripture. You just do a search for thankfulness, gratitude, worship. You're going to find hundreds of verses that line up with this. But look at that. Enter his gates. We enter his gates. We enter his presence with thanksgiving. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18. Rejoice always. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And then Philippians 4, verse 6. I know these are all famous passages. Uh, but it says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the list could go on. I could have given many, 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 many more passages and scriptures just to show that this whole idea of thankfulness and appreciation and gratitude and worship is very, very foundational to what it's like me and our people to do. I mean, we're asking about those identity statements. What does that mean then? Uh, what is it like me and my people to do? Well, we're learning right here. At the core of it, it's like us to be thankful. That's at the core of who we're supposed to be. That's a, at the core of who God made us to be, is to be thankful. And that's how it works. So appreciation is the key to growing our capacity because it's, it's the key to staying relational. And that's how that works, right? And it's very interesting. They've done studies on this as well because you can actually see that front brain, back brain, when you're operating in desire or out of fear, on brain scans, they've actually been able to see, you can actually see which areas are actually operating at any given time. And with that, what they've been able to actually see is that appreciation, practicing gratitude and thankfulness, actually engages the front parts of the brain. Like, it's, like I said, science just confirms what Scripture is already teaching us. We're supposed to be thankful in all things. If we would actually just learn to do that, we would actually make it a lot further. And with that, so appreciation is the key to growing capacity because we have to be relational in order to experience joy. It's also the key to loving God and loving people. And that's really, really important. You know, you know, engaging your heart in thankfulness turns on the parts of our brain that allow us to stay relational and be connected to God and to others. 
You know, think about this. How many people here have ever felt hatred? Oh, you're like, hatred. I don't feel hatred ever, right? Of course you wouldn't. Maybe ill will. How about that? Ill will. Because I'm sure all of us have felt ill will towards someone before. How many people here have ever felt ill will towards someone that they were truly appreciative of? Ever experienced that? Right? Oh, like I just really want something bad to happen to you because I just love you so much. You're just so great. That doesn't make sense. You know how it usually goes? It's when we lose sight of what's important about that other person that we start having ill will towards their actions towards us. When you actually stay in that mode of appreciation and thankfulness, you actually stay in the mode of wanting to fix the relationship regardless of the cost, wanting to forgive regardless of the offense. You want to stay there because you were designed to stay there. That's just how we were made. It's quite fascinating how that works. You know, this happens with kids all the time. If you have kids, if you don't, you can relate to just fill in the blank with your relationships. Uh, but with your kids, I mean, when we stay thankful, when you, you know, when they make a mistake, but you can see it as, oh, like they're just, they're learning, they're growing, and you can just appreciate the fact that they're trying. Those are the times when you don't like blow up in rage. You actually just, you want to shepherd them and help them and you want to help them grow. It's those times where you forget why you love them and forget why you appreciate them and all you see is the problem in front of you, right? Not that I've ever done that, but sometimes, maybe. My wife more struggles with that. <laughs> Just kidding. I love you, honey. She kissed me when she got here this morning. It was very nice. Anyways, <laughs> I might not get one after the service now. I don't, I don't know. We'll see what happens. But, but isn't that how it works? Right? I mean, it's when we lose sight of what we appreciate about, about our kids, when we see them for a problem, that's when you start doing things that you later on regret. What we're experiencing is front brain, back brain. But when we live in accordance with the word, when we actually learn to be thankful in, in, in okay, which kind of circumstances again? Was that all? Is that right? Was it all circumstances? Oh, thankful in all circumstances, regardless of what we face, we're actually in a prime position to love God and love people better. And that's what pleases God, isn't it? That's what pleases Him. We all make mistakes. You know, He told me that recently in a devotional time, and I was beating myself up because I wasn't getting a certain thing right, and I couldn't believe it, and I was just, ah, oh, I felt so bad. And I said, Lord, look, I keep failing at this. And He said, you know what? I'm not, like, I get it. You need to work here. We're going to grow in that together. Don't, like, but that's not what I want you worrying about. What I'm looking at is love. That's what I judge you on how much you love. And he says, by the, by the standard and law of love, you're passing with flying colors. That's what I sensed him saying. He's like, you love me. You'll do anything for me. And you love people. And I love that about you. That's what he's looking for, right? If we learn to be creatures of appreciation and thankfulness, it'll be easier for us to actually fulfill what he wants. You know, Philippians 4, 4 to 9. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Okay, so I already gave you part of that passage already before, and now we're just referencing the, the, whole, you know, the whole passage in its entirety. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. You know what's really neat about that? You know what Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, you know what he just told us to do there? Practice appreciation. Is that not what he said? That's what he said. That's what he said. Practice it. Practice these things. Practice thinking about these things. Practice thinking about the things that you are thankful for and grateful for. 
So here I'm, we're talking about, you know, gra- gratitude and appreciation is the foundation for growing in capacity and loving God and loving people. And, and I mean, it's true. Science will back that up. And then Scripture, even Paul was saying that years ago. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, he said, practice these things, and then the God of peace will be with you. You know that peace from God is relational? You see how that works? Practice the gratitude. Practice being appreciative, right? Turn to me in thanksgiving, and then my peace will be with you because I'll be with you. And when you can feel me, you will feel peace even in the storm. I'm not saying that things never get hard. Things can be hard. I get that. But he'll be with you. That changes everything. God with us. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to do the first of two practicums today. And you have your sheets there, so if you can pull those out. Just have the side that says knowing your identity, because that's the side one. And we're going to practice this together. And we're just going to do a very short one here, and then we're going to do another short one at the end, because I want us to be learning this as skills, as a church, as a body, as a family, that we learn this stuff together, because this is life. It's life when we learn to be thankful, when we learn to appreciate what God has given us. So what we're going to do is I'm going to get you just to think of, right, even just right now, I'm going to get you to think of someone in your life that you appreciate. Then you just drop their name down. Okay? Who is someone that you appreciate? Is it one of your kids? Your spouse? Maybe it's even Jesus. That's fine. Now I want you to think of a memory you have with them that brings you joy. And I'm going to do this with you. And then just briefly write it out. Don't go into great detail. So if it's your wife, you can just say, my wife, whatever, my wife is Louise. Don't put my wife on there. But uh, you just, Louise, and you know, when we played this game together, when we were solving this problem with the kids, whatever it was, you just write it down briefly what the memory was. You can do that now. any memory. doesn't have to be a spiritual memory because we're supposed to be thankful in all circumstances. I want you just to take a moment and I want you to focus on what you appreciated in the memory. What you appreciated about the person that you experienced that with. And as you focus on that, I just want you to write down how it made you feel when you experienced whatever it was that you experienced with them. If it was a game that you played or a coffee that you shared a smile you shared? Did you feel joy? Warmth? Did you feel heard? Valued? Important? Was it exciting to you? Think about that. This is how we engage our hearts. We think about why it's meaningful to us. This is how we do that.
and you're done writing, just focus on it again. Just focus on the memory and why it was meaningful and what was important to you in there, how it felt. And you can write this out or you can just do it softly in your heart. Just thank Jesus for what he provided for you there, the good gifts that he gave you. Thank him for the relationship. Thank him for the memory. Thank him for the feelings that it brought up. You turn it back into thankfulness. That's all the time I'm going to give you for it now. It's just nice and short. But this is the point. Learning how to be thankful. This doesn't, need, we don't, it doesn't mean you have to sit down for an hour every time to go through a bunch of thankfulness. You don't even have to write it down. This is just learning the skill and practicing what it's like to be thankful. Right? Thankful in all things. We can, be, we can look at all the good things that God has provided because, you know what? I mean, it's very easy sometimes to be stuck in overwhelm when you're stuck in fear and you're just stuck in that spot where you can't see anything good in your life. Practice this. Practice actually looking at all the small blessings and the big ones in your life. You'll find the more you do this, the better you'll get at it. And you know why that is? Because you'll learn it like a skill. That's just how God made us. You'll learn the skill of being thankful in all things, and it's a wonderful thing. You know, I get a question lots. How do you know when your heart's engaged? You know, when you're doing this kind of stuff, how do you know when it's working and when it's not working? You know what? Just you look at it this way. When you can look at something that God has given you, when you can go into thankfulness and you feel that appreciation on the inside— you know that feeling I mean? Like when I was just doing it here, I was thinking about Louise and actually in the way she supported me throughout the last two weeks of message prep and just did her best just to make sure everything went perfect for me. She was always trying to just, are you good? Do you need anything? Praying for me? That sort of thing. I'm thinking about that and as I'm thinking about it, you ever get that where you're thinking about that experience and you get that smile on your face? You feel that warmth and you just feel, ah, oh, like I just really appreciate her? That's the feeling. That's your heart being engaged in thankfulness and gratitude. And you take that and you're like, oh, now you, just, you desire connection when you feel like that, don't you? That's what I want. We could just finish right now and I'll go connect to my wife. <laughs> just say, honey, I love you, right? But that's how that works. That's appreciation. That's how it works. That's how you know when your heart is engaged. You can gauge that as well when you're going into worship. How do you know? Like, Lord, I'm trying to engage my heart. Just sit there until you can feel gratitude. And you're like, oh, I don't feel it. That's okay. No one learns these things just overnight. Sometimes you're going to have to. Remember I said last week, fake it till you make it. Sometimes you're going to and go through a Thanksgiving exercise like this and you're just going to, Lord, I just thank you that you've given me lots of good gifts even though I really don't feel it right now. And I just need your help and you ask him and you cry out to him and that's okay too. That's okay too. We all struggle. We're all weak. We're all, we all malfunction in many different ways and that's okay. Uh, you've got to be okay with that. But the more we practice this, the better you'll, you will get at it and the more thankful you'll actually become and you'll find it easier to move forward in exercises like this. So that is how we do it. That's how appreciation, that's how we start. That feeling inside, right? That's what primes us up to relationally connect to God, relationally connect to others. That's why it says we enter his gates of thanksgiving in our heart, right? You practice appreciation like that and you feel like, oh Lord, you've done so many good things for me. I want to connect with you. I want to hear what you have to say to me today. 
You have a different outlook on life, and that's the point. And it's said in Scripture. It's been in there for thousands of years, and all we're looking at is the science behind it now as well. Science just confirms what the Bible has already taught us. So, Let's look at the next part here, okay? So that's joy, appreciation, and capacity. Appreciation is key to growing our capacity. It's key to loving God and loving people. And now let's look at how you grow into your identity, okay? Growing in your identity. In Christian circles, there seem to be two responses to this question of identity and who am I. And I'm going to look at uh, the two imbalances in this first. And the first uh, imbalance is that our identities are defined by our actions in our lows. So what they say is, and I've heard this before, um, and I've even thought this before, so I won't just, you know, point it out to someone else as though I've always had it right. But I used to even think this, but I've heard many others preach it, and that is, if you really want to see who someone is, catch that, that's the key phrase there, who they are, if you want to see their identity, catch them when they're at their lowest point. Because anyone can fake it when things are going good, but when everything, you know, when the, when the bottom falls out, that's when you're going to see their true colors. And we say by true colors, we're talking about that's when we see their true self, their true identity. You might say, well, that, that, that makes sense, doesn't it? Well, actually, no. It doesn't actually work. It makes sense. Is it valuable to look at someone in their lows? Is it valuable to evaluate how we do when, when the bottom falls out? Certainly it's valuable. But it's not valuable when you're trying to answer the question, who am I? It's valuable when you're trying to answer the question, what are the areas I need to work on? Where are the areas that I'm weak? Right? If those are the questions you're trying to evaluate and get answers for, then looking at yourself and your lows is a great plan, right? The scripture talks about that too. Lord, examine my heart. Show me anything that's offensive in there, right? Examine me, right? And that, that is a very, very valuable thing to pray. It's a valuable thing to do and to examine, but it's not good when we're trying to ask the question, who am I? Who we are is defined differently than by our mistakes and by actions alone, and that's very important. I'm going to explain that in just a moment. And I've, by the way, I've, I have felt this many times before, and, and God's had to correct me in that. Right? Because, and I just, I alluded to it before in that example. Oh, I just feel like I'm constantly getting this wrong. And he's saying, no, it's okay. It's okay. I know you're getting it wrong. We're going to work on that together. That's how he looks at things. We're going to do things together. That's what he always says to me. Together. Let's do this together. We'll conquer this mountain together. Right? Then he says, I love you anyways. That's the thing he's been saying to me my whole life because that's not, he doesn't define me by my mistakes. He knows I'm going to make mistakes and I'll explain how that works. But first, I just want to look at the other response to this. Right? So the first imbalances were defined by our mistakes. And the second imbalance is, once you're saved, you have a new identity, and that requires nothing to improve on it. Okay, and what they're saying here is, we're already seen as perfect, and because you're already perfect, you don't need to work on anything. You are what you are. So if Jesus says you're righteous, you are already righteous. Regardless of the fact that Scripture actually teaches us that we can stain our robes of righteousness. Regardless of the fact that Scripture teaches us when we make mistakes as Christians, we're to confess our sins and He forgives us. Talking about how the restoration process works. Okay? So they believe that once you're a Christian, you gain a new identity. Now, is that true? And the answer is, yes, it is true. 100% you gain a new identity, and I'm so thankful and glad for that. Okay? What the, but where they bring it too far is they say because you've attained it already, there's no need to work on anything else in your life. Because you are already that. And that's where it becomes false, right? They err when they forget the now and not yet principle that, you know, Pastor Ray and Pastor Chris have taught us so many times from the front. The now and not yet. There is things, yes, that's true for now, and then there's some of it that's not going to be fully completed until we see Jesus face to face. Yes, he says, you're righteous. Yes, but I still make mistakes now. And I still have to grow in righteousness. I still have to ask that question. Okay, Lord, if, if you are, 
if you're calling me into righteousness, if you're saying it's like me and my people to be righteous because we're Christians, then what would it be like a righteous person to do when I feel angry? Now compare that to what you are doing and then start to practice and learn and change. You see how that works? It works together. That's the balance. That's how that works, okay? I'm going to give you an example to make this. I just want it to be super clear. We're going to use uh, hockey, and we used it last week too, but I want to use it again. Okay. If I would, I mean, from the moment, if I've never played hockey, I've never engaged in hockey, I'm not a hockey player, correct? That's easy to understand. If you've never actually played hockey, you cannot call yourself a hockey player just because you want to call yourself that. But once I decide to be a hockey player, and once I, you know, get on the ice, or once I get on a team and join a team, regardless of my skill level, high or low, and albeit it's going to be very low if you're just starting, I am now a hockey player. Is this true? Okay, so then my identity as a hockey player has nothing to do with how good I am at being a hockey player. Once I actually just play the sport of hockey, I am officially a hockey player. That's how that works. But just because I'm officially a hockey player does not mean that I can officially play at an NHL level. It doesn't work like that. And this is very much the same for how it works when we, when we give our lives to Jesus. Right? And he's, he's wonderful. I mean, some hockey teams, there's some, most, there's tryouts, obviously, and there's drafting in the higher leagues. But, I mean, not just anyone gets on the team. And if you root for hockey, any hockey team, you're glad that not just anyone gets on the team, right? Because you want only the best on the team. Jesus isn't like that. He says, if you desire, remember that friend of the brain operates off desire? He looks for desire. He doesn't just look for what you're capable of doing already. He looks for desire. If you desire to be on his team, you're on his team. He said, you're in. You're in. You desire to play hockey for me? You're on. You're in. But just because he says you're in, and now you can say, I'm a hockey player, does not mean that you're ready to play at the NHL level. And that's why like, you know, we get so hung up on this thing of hierarchy and value. And I, but you know, you're saying that I'm not that already, and that means I'm not valuable. You're thinking you're better than me. It's not about better. Our value is the same. It doesn't matter about position. It doesn't matter if you're the one preaching today, if you're the one sitting and listening. Our value is the same. We're all hockey players. We're all hockey players. But is there hierarchical order? Is there levels of skill and maturity? Well, certainly. Certainly. And I'm, I bet all of us here appreciate that not just any level of maturity or skill is able to lead from the front. Think about that with hockey. Can you imagine, you know, and I've, <laughs> I have my son. He's great at sports and stuff. But, you know, when he got into football originally, I know this is not, I'm steering away from the hockey analogy, but you got to get it. When he got into football, I mean, he was all about, like, I am Wes Welker, I'm this and that, like, I am a professional football player. And he learned very quickly that, yes, you are a football player, but no, you actually aren't playing at that level, and you're not the best on your team, even though you want to be. And it was, you know, right? And then there's two different responses he can have, and this is the, th the responses we have to actually look at as well. We can respond in two ways. We're either going to respond and say, oh, so... I try, I'm supposed to be the best, I must be the best because I'm on the team. You try, you fail, you try, you fail. So now you get to a place where you just give up. Christians do that lots, don't they? Right? They say, oh, I tried, I failed. I tried, I failed. See, I must not be a Christian. No, it has nothing to do with that. You're a Christian if you want to be a Christian. You're on his team if you want to be on his team, right? All it means is, oh, you made mistakes down here. Oh, this is what you need to work on. Right? It's just like a hockey player. Oh, you can stop to the right, but you can't stop to the left. we got to work on that. Right? It's not, oh, you can't stop to the left, you can't play hockey. No, that's not the way it works. My son, like, like I was saying, he, you know, playing football, thought he was the best. He learned very, very quickly that if he wants to be the best on his team, if he wants to be the best, he has to train and practice 
and learn these new skills. That's precisely how it works with our identities as well. That's exactly how it works. Okay? And you know what I love about this? Using this analogy, because Jesus is, like, it's very much like hockey like that, because he accepts anyone on the team, and then he is the perfect coach, isn't he? Right? He's the perfect coach, because he's always there for you. He'll always give you one-on-one. He'll always give you the strategy to overcome the enemy or team that you're facing. And then, plus all of that, he knows exactly where you're weak and what you need to work on, right? He's totally loving in that and accepting, and he's willing to give you all the strength you need and the skills you need and the practice that you need and the time that you need to implement and all of that so, so you can actually be the best hockey player or Christian that you could be. And that's really the balance here. Jesus stands ready to strengthen us in our inner being. That's capacity, what we're talking about. Scripture talks about that. He stands ready to show us who we are, right? We're hockey players. We're on his team. We're Christians. That's identity. And, and he will give us the appropriate training ground to practice and perfect our new skills. And that's, that's how that works. Do you see what I'm saying? That's how that works. That's how we're supposed to do it, right? So we look at these, and we have to look at the identity in Christ thing in the right light. He says you're righteous. That's good. What he's saying is when you're facing life now, that's how you're supposed to behave. So when you're asking that question, what is it like me and my people to do? You say it is like us to be righteous. Oh, okay, that's what a Christian is. Okay, so what is a righteous response? Right? He says you're a child of God. So how does that now change you? When you feel alone, what do you know? That he's always with you. How do you practice that? You turn to him. God, are you with me now? I feel alone. Are you there? Now you begin to practice and see, oh, child, I'm with you. Child, I look upon you with fondness and tenderness. And that's how that works. Philippians 4, 10 to 13. Not that I'm speaking of being in need. I love this, by the way. Paul just clearly outlines this process that I'm talking about here, those three points. He outlines it to a T. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Now, that sounds like a pretty good thing to learn, isn't it? Learning how to be content in all things. Who here wants to be content in all things? I do. I mean, of course you do. Why would you not want to be content in all things? If we could actually feel content, you know that feeling of, ah, everything's going to be okay, regardless of how bad things went? That seems like something I would want to learn. Now, really think about who's qualifying that statement of what he learned. Paul. You know what Paul all experienced? He got stoned to death, but he didn't die. (laughs) It's kind of funny. It's not funny, right? (laughs) Why am I laughing? That's not funny. It is kind of funny that, you know, it's funny that he got up and tried to go back in. I mean, that's, he's awesome, right? He got whipped, shipwrecked. He was hated. He was rejected. He was hurt. He was cold. He was hungry. Okay, and you think, that's bad already, right? I mean, how many people in here have experienced all that? Plus, on top of that, it gets worse. He had to deal with all the personal atrocities that he did to Christians before he gave his life to Jesus. You ever thought about the weight that that guy must have carried around of guilt and condemnation from the past? And then just, oh, my life sucks in the present. And yet Paul says, what? Not that I'm speaking of being in need. He's not in need. I think he is. For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. So we should all be listening. This is a very qualified person here to teach us this skill of how to be content. So now we skip forward to the end of the passage here, verse 13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Okay, so what he's saying is, this is the truth that he learned that had the fruit of him learning to be content in all things. 
Because he learned, right, that didn't matter what happened, right? Oh, he can trust in God. He can trust in God, and God will always give him the strength to push through. And thus, he can be content in all things. I mean, this is pretty incredible. So he says he's got the secret of being content. We all want contentment. And it's tied to the identity statement that he can do all things through Christ who strengthens him. That's an identity statement. That's what it's like me and my people to do, to trust in God because he can do all, we can do all things that he's asking us to do because he is strengthening us. So how did Paul get from there? How did he get that truth? Because we always talk about, I want it from my mind into my heart, right? We all feel like that. I feel like that. How do we get that truth? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me from the mind into the heart so that we can live like Paul lived and be content in all circumstances. Well, it just so happens that the middle of the passage there actually tells us. So we'll go there now. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation, stop here, I have learned, this is something he had to learn, right? I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. Okay, so we're talking about hardship and good things. So bad things happening, good things happening. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, of facing abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And there we have it. That's it right there. That is the process that we're all going through. He says, I have learned to be content in all things. And how did I learn that? By practicing this truth here, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. When everything was going good, I practiced it. And then when everything went terrible, I practiced it. And then you know what he learned? That God was always there with him. That he could always trust him. And time and time again, it didn't happen once. Right? I mean, we like to take... I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me and write it down as a statement and just pray it every morning. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me and then just move on through my day expecting now that I'll be able to do everything without being overwhelmed because Christ strengthens me. And I'm not saying that it's bad to take these verses and claim them and to pray them. It's good. That's actually a good place to start. That's just not how you get it to be a part of your life. It's incomplete. I'm not saying it's bad. It's just incomplete. Right? You want to do the full steps. You want to take that truth and say, this is what I believe. Lord, I'm standing on it. You declare it. You pray it. And then you go and apply it. Then you go and you practice it. Remember I said he's there, stands ready to strengthen you in your inner being. He stands ready to tell you who you are. That's what he's doing here. And he stands ready to give you the appropriate training ground, just like he did for the Apostle Paul. Hunger and want. Abundance and need. Doesn't that give you some sense of purpose in some of the things that you're suffering with? You actually need the suffering. You need the good times with him on top of the mountain. You, just as much as you need those, you need the low times in the valley with him. That's how you learn these things as skills, where you can get to a place like Paul, where you say, I have learned the secret of being content. You want to be a good testimony to, the, to your family and to your friends and to your coworkers? Learn that truth. Have them see you go through struggles in your life and just full of peace and contentment and just being able to love them no matter what. They're saying, how do you do that? It's a skill. You learn it. You practice it over time. That's how that works. Okay. By the way, Peter, I'm just going to skip a little chunk here. That's fine. Peter had to practice this too, didn't he? We all know this. Peter, Lord, I will never deny you. <laughs> Remember that? Remember reading that in the scriptures? I'll never deny you. Now, we all know what's going to happen. You're like, oh, poor Peter, right? Little do you know you're about to make a fool of yourself because a few, you know, short verses later, we find him denying Jesus. Okay, so what's happening there? Well, he was proclaiming his identity, saying, this is who I am. I'm going to follow you no matter what. You ever done that? This is who I am. 
And I just know for sure because I know the fact of who I am that I'm just going to be able to do it. <laughs> no, no, it doesn't work that way. It didn't work that way for him either. So be encouraged. Then he actually got into a real life situation where that was tested. Are you really going to die for me? Right? Are you really going to lay down your life? And what happened? He didn't. Then he failed. He learned that, oh, I'm a hockey player, but actually I can't play at the NHL level yet. Not quite yet. Right? That's how that works. He's just learning it. So then Jesus comes along a little bit later, you know, and what happened, by the way, after he made that mistake? He left the ministry. Too many Christians do that. They leave the church. They leave the faith because they say, this is who I am. This is who I am. And then they go to try to apply it and they can't do it. And they just expect it because they signed up for the team that they can play at the pro level. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. Peter made the same mistake. He left the ministry, went back to fishing. That's where Jesus finds him. He's on the boat, casting a fishing reel. I don't know, probably didn't have a fishing reel, but whatever. But he's fishing anyways. And he's fishing there, and Jesus pulls him, to, you know, gets to the shore. Do you love me? Do you love me? A famous passage, all that kind of stuff, right? And finally, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. What was Jesus addressing here? That your, your actions don't define who you are. Your desire does. That's how we actually built our, our brains are built that way, but that's how he made us. Your desire, do you love me? You answer that. Do you love me? I, I ask this to people all the time in sessions. They say, look, I can't get this right. I must be a screw-up. God can't love me. He must hate me. Look what I'm doing. I'm obviously not a real Christian. I've felt that before. You know what I always bring it back to? Tell me something. Do you love Jesus? Well, I mean, I don't know. Do you love him? Tell me. Don't look at your actions. Forget those for just a moment. They're important. We'll deal with that next. Let's start with the foundation. Do you love him? No, well, yeah. Yeah, I love him. Yeah. Well, if you could change and you could stop doing that, would you? Oh, yeah, if I knew how, of course I would stop. I don't like that behavior. I hate it. I wish it wasn't like that. It's exactly what Jesus was doing with Peter here. Do you love me? Yeah. Yeah. Do you love me? Yeah. Do you love me? And it's like, oh, Lord, please don't ask me again. You know I love you, but I'm a failure. Jesus says, then go and feed my sheep. Start acting like the person I created you to be. You just practice. You learn it. None of us are separate from this process. We all go through it the same way Peter did. We all go through it the same way Paul did. The way we all do. It's a common experience to mankind. Nothing is uncommon. Nothing that you're facing is outside the realm of human experience. This is how we all grow. Jesus says, do you want to be on my team? That's what he says to you this morning. Do you want to be on my team? There's no tryouts necessary. You just have to desire it. And if you desire it, then he invites you into this adventure of walking with him and learning from him and being strengthened in your inner being by him. He gives you the training ground and sometimes it's like you're on this trail and you get to stop and you're like, oh, Lord, the beauty and it's wonderful. And the next time you go through a spot on the trail where it's really, really hard and you're like, I don't know how I'm going to do it. But the whole time he's encouraging you and he's helping you and you're strengthening you and he's giving you exactly what you need to become strong in him. And that's how that works. So I want to... Uh, close with another practicum. We're actually going to do two things. We're going to do another practicum here, so you can flip to the back side there. And by the way, this is one practicum. This is a, a, one of the ways that we learn. Remember, our identity begins to grow as we see our faces reflected in the eyes of our parents. That's how it starts, when we're little babies, right? Well, not this tall. Obviously, we're little. But when we're babies, that's how it starts. We can start renewing our identity in Christ in the same way that we do with kids and a, and a mother, with us, wherever, whatever age you're at, looking at Jesus. So we'll start there. And then through the week, I'm going to give you different exercises that are going to build on this. And they're going to continue to build on how we grow an identity and how we practice these new skills and how we learn the answer to who am I. 
And that's what we're going to do. And then at the end, there's an awesome song that, that the worship team is going to play here. It's a special number that ties in with all of this. And when we get to that place, I'll, I'll instruct you what to do, but it'll really tie it together. So let's just bow your heads here. And I'm going to pray for you. Jesus, I just pray right now. We need, I mean, there are so many things written in Scripture to answer that question, who am I? But God, we need you to take those truths and teach them to us inside of our inner beings. Strengthen us. Teach them to us like skills. Change our hearts so that we actually become the type of people that we need to be. Teach us how to go from the midget level to the pro levels. Teach us, Lord. Strengthen us in that. Now, God, I just help, I I pray that you would help each one here just think of a current struggle that they are facing right now. Don't go for necessarily the biggest one or this, you don't have to pick based on size. Whatever the first struggle is that you've been having lately, recently, you just put it down there. What is your current struggle and how does that struggle make you feel? Does it make you feel hopeless, shame? write it down briefly. You probably know all of the details of it anyways. If you're worried about someone next to you seeing what your struggle is, just put an initial there. Just if you're worried about that, that's okay. Now as you've written that down, I want you to think again about that appreciation memory that you wrote on, on the page before. That good gift, I want you to focus now on the good gift that God has provided for you, one of the many. So you just think about that person that God provided for you, a time where you felt joy together. You just think about how you were thankful for that. Just a moment ago, you were very thankful to God for that individual and that memory. Just sit there again until you feel that thankfulness again coming up. Jesus to speak to you now and just show you how he sees you in your current struggle. And if you're new to this kind of thing, asking Jesus, what is that like? You know what? You don't have to worry about hearing a voice, a different voice. Just write down whatever thoughts come to your head. That's actually how it works. We just mirror, we mirror his thoughts and that's how that works. And you don't have to worry about, is it God? Is it me? You might say, I don't know. Like I've done this before and it didn't, I didn't change right away. That's okay. You know that when you join a sports team and your coach teaches you to do something new, he probably tells you to do the same thing a thousand times before you actually learn it. That's okay. It's often the same. So, Jesus, I just ask that you would look on each one of us, your kids, that you would just show 
each one of us how you see us in our current struggle. Just write down whatever the first thoughts that come to your head. Don't worry about, is it God, is it me? Don't worry about that. Let him worry about that. You just write down whatever thoughts come to your mind. Does he look on you with understanding? Does he look on you with tenderness? Maybe you just sense that he's smiling. Now, Jesus, out of that, I just ask that you would speak to us again, that you would just give us your thoughts on what do you want us to know about what you are growing in us through this struggle? What are we learning through this struggle? What are you teaching us? Is he growing your faith? Is he teaching you perseverance? Is he teaching you what it really means to love? Is he teaching you that you can trust in him? Maybe he wants you to know that he can actually satisfy that longing in your heart that's causing you to go to things that you later on regret. I'm going to be sending out more practicums like this. They're going to build on this and about how we actually practice these skills, learn who we are and how do we actually implement that. And I'm going to send that out starting tomorrow. So if you're not signed up, you can sign up. It'll be on Facebook or you can sign up on the church website there. But this is the adventure. This is the journey that Jesus invites us on. And it's a wonderful journey. And you know what? We often look for, especially in the West, we're looking for ways out of our struggles, ways out of our hurt, out of the overwhelm. And it's not like that. Jesus actually wants to invite us into this partnership with him where we walk with him in the struggles, where we walk with him in the good times and the bad. And it's a wonderful, wonderful gift. So what we're going to do now is we're going to have, the worship team is going to play a song called No Longer a Slave. And it's very, very appropriate um, to what we're talking about here because it's all about this theme of I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. It's all about your identity and who you are. We're not going to be ruled by fear anymore. Right? We're actually going to be ruled by this truth. We're going to learn these truths. I'm a child of God. What does that mean for how I live? What does that mean for my responses? And we're going to learn this together, so I hope you enjoy it. Thank you for listening to this message from Southland Church. For more information or to download this and many other messages, please visit us at myselfland.com.